You want to be a fake Jake Manning? Uh, you have a Jake Manning impersonation. You're I'm about do... to. I'm about to pull it out of my ass. Go ahead. Let me. Let's see what you. Let's see what you have. Oh man, I wish I hadn't suggested this now. Oh. <laughs> oh well, you're the one that brought it up. We're like, hey, let's have some cold uh, open ideas, and Tyler's like. I got one. I'm going to be Jake Manning. I do not have that thick of a fucking accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if my Tyler Woods is as good as uh, your Jake right, Manning. Let's, let's see. Yeah, so guys, I was just thinking about all the stuff that's been going on and, you know, brought back to 1980s and, you know, they really, all the great wrestling that went on there and, you know, thinking about all the great people that's, they've all set up rings and they, they've all learned a thing or two. They've sat under the, the learning tree, if you will. They're learning from me, daddy. They're learning, they're learning they from do me. Now. You know, you do the first of me I'm doing, doing an here. impression of Jake Manning doing an impression of Dusty Rhodes. Now, just let me get back into it, Danny, as you come around. And now, now we're getting into the, the stew hard, the stew, the stew hard the dungeons with the, with the cats. And he's covered in the cat poop. And they're all, they're coming in there and he's putting the, the moves on the cats. And they're all coming in there. They've all been, they've been trained by me. And they're, they're bro, bro, they've all been trained by me, bro. Bro, so yeah, that's, um, hmm, that's not a, that's my Jake Manny impression. I'm more offended and curious. Is is my cadence like that in the beginning? We're like, yeah, you know. 80, you you uh, so I do the when, when I go through the first pass of these, you like you start very excited, and then you're like you'll trail all you like you'll make love to the microphone a little bit. <laughs> yeah, because I'm trying to settle in. Also, too, probably I try to like curse so much, but I have like such a wrestler's locker room talk because that's where I spend ninety percent of my fucking life. So like it just saying a curse word just rolls right off me. Thank God, like this is not. National television. I'm also trying not to be like, like, like in the pauses, mm-hmm. and also trying to work on that as well too. Trying to trying to speak professionally, and sometimes I have to stop <laughs> and then make love to the microphone. This is why I didn't want to do an impression because I'm like, I also don't want to make Jake feel. No, I got a complex now. I, yeah, I, I, know, I, know. I, I was well, feeling a little self-conscious. Here, you're coming over here with this one, like I'm Tyler Wood. How y'all doing? <laughs> I don't I even know. Quote. That didn't even get to the point that I, I'm impersonating you the same way that we're going to be talking about fake razor here. Impersonation, yes. Yeah, this so is I, the impersonation episodes. You so. know, it's better when you have to explain the joke. <laughs> it is. As we all know from previous episodes. All right. Hello and welcome to Tim Bell Pod. I'm fake Conrad, Nick Alexander. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> MLS number 12543870. <laughs> Y'all need some belts. You need some championship <laughs> belts. I got 40 of them behind me. I'm joined by fake Micah, Tyler Wood. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. I think, I'm sure there's an episode or two where I've called you Micah and you've just been like, I'll take it. Like, I really feel like, I feel like there's an episode where I've referred to you as Micah and you're just like, all right, this is Jake. It's brain damage. It's fine. Like, <laughs> 
And I think the math checks out on this, since he was trying to be the man scout. Uh, we're also joined by real Kurt Hawkins, Jake Manning. Ah, fuck you with everything under the sun. <laughs> you couldn't have gotten the fake Dax Hardwood in there? You couldn't have done that? Uh... <laughs> There's actual real hatred there. So. <laughs> I know. That's what makes it gritty. Yeah. Well, this, and, well, not that there isn't with Kurt Hawkins, but... Which a lot of people don't know that story, surprisingly. Still, I, I make jokes about it on Twitter sometimes, and people are like, huh? How do you want us to cut that intro to not bother the wrong people? <laughs> no. Fucking leave that. I, I, I wish he would be upset. He still owes me an apology. So... <laughs> I want my fucking apology. You brought it up and laughed in my face about stealing my fucking character. Dude, we hit Conrad Thompson. We we hit my own ego. We hit Kurt Hawkins. <laughs> this is the episode. This is the Burn the Bridges episode. <laughs> this episode of all episodes. This is like the quick little one. Like the one that people are like, you know what? Of the whole season, we might skip. Turns out, if you're here now, congratulations. Like you are going to hear a banger of an episode maybe a bogner of an episode here today <laughs> all right today we are talking about montreal screwjob truther new japan nwo member fake razor or as he would prefer the second razor big titan himself rick bogner just dodging that fake word you know like, <laughs> there's nothing fake in pro wrestling kids i heard there are only two things that were real that's the miles and the money <laughs> old crusty old timer Tyler Wood <laughs> who would oh. listen to a one quote from a shooter interview <laughs> shut it off and then parrot it on a wrestling podcast to come off uh, like a fucking pro Tyler Wood <laughs> uh, I heard that from uh, Kevin Nash and it was on a shoot interview good call I guess we should address this. We should address the passing of Scott Hall since it, it's recent enough when this comes out. That wasn't something that happened when we chose this episode, when we researched this episode, when I wrote this episode. It adds a little extra layer of sadness to the already sad, you know, very early passing of Rick Bogner. Yeah, and also, too, we were actually going to record this episode before Scott Hall passed. So that would have been really weird. So I'm glad we delayed it and kind of. Mention it, you know, and give our condolences to everybody. We, you know, Nick being best friends with X-Pac, I being (laughs) close personal friends with Kevin Nash. Very clearly, our heart goes out to both of them. I know Kevin Nash just actually canceled his Greenville Comic-Con appearance to grieve the death of his friend. I was kind of looking forward to seeing old Big Kev. So, you know, my heart goes out to everybody that's still mourning that loss and, you know, also like the Bogner family and people that did appreciate somebody that got put in a weird, difficult spot, tried to make the most of it. And from what I understand of every report was a nice human being. They haven't heard a bad thing and everybody always felt bad for old Rick Bogner and the position he was put in. But he did a lot more than just that. And we'll get into that today. Yeah, I will follow that by saying this will be a very similar episode to Mike Shaw. And you can throw some other guys in there. But Rick Bogner is one of those dudes that actually did some cool shit elsewhere. But he shows up to WWF and is giving this shit sandwich gimmick. And boom, that's his entire legacy. Despite it being 
less than a blip on his radar. So maybe we can do a little to, you know, let the people out there know a little more about Big Rick Titan. Richard Wagner was born January 16, 1970 in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Rick grew up as a martial artist and I believe got a black belt or two. Around the age of 16, he started watching pro wrestling. He specifically mentioned a match between Ric Flair and Ronnie Garvin as being the thing that made him think that he could do this or he wants to do this. Still a teenager, Rick was about 6'5 out of the 6'6 he'd become, 250-ish out of the 275-ish he would become. Pair that with the strength and mobility of being a goddamn ninja. He definitely had the base to thrive as some kind of athlete. Like, it's Canada, it's either hockey or snow basketball, I guess. So he picked pro wrestling. He started uh, digging around for any way how to get into the business, because how the fuck do you do that? He found out that a friend of a friend of a friend's husband was a wrestler. It was that guy who taught him to take his first bumps. And with his martial arts background, it, it came pretty natural since it was similar to getting tossed in judo. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I've heard from people that did judo prior to going to WWE. The roles are very similar. The idea of you know distributing your body weight when you land. And also, too, that's why... Japanese wrestling is so successful because it's very similar to judo, which is a very well-respected national sport, so they can connect with it and understand it enough, and it's very similar. So, yeah, it's very transferable skill. Uh, 18, Rick started to attend Stampede wrestling shows and would even get into a little bit of training, but before he could get too deep, he broke his ankle trying to do a flip off the top rope. While healing, he finished up his only semester of college before deciding school wasn't for him, so it was back to Stampede. However, this was 89-ish, right when Stampede was shutting down, so he's not going to get that Brian Pillman, Owen, Dynamite, like, Stampede experience. Yeah, but that that second breath of Stampede was so good, and and it's kind of a shame he didn't get that, because we may be looking at him differently, and that's just so, it's the way timing is sometimes is like when did you get in when did you start when were you at your best like i felt like i was at my best in ring in 2009 when they absolutely fucking hated indie wrestlers in wwe and wanted nothing to do with anybody who was an indie wrestler and there was no no place other to go that was it only place to be and you weren't getting any other places so you're fucked and unfortunately like it kind of was what happened to rick here but you know like it might be a different world if we get bogner mixing it up with a gamma sing or tagging with an owen hart might you know it might be a different world and now as brought to you by the professional wrestling alliance for the arts a dramatic reading of john cena's the time is now your time is up my time is now you can't see me, my time is now. It's the franchise, boy, I'm shining now. You can't see me, my time is now. In case you forgot or fell off, I'm still hot, knock your shell off. My money stack fat, plus I can't turn the swell off. The franchise doing big business, I live this. Is automatic, I win this, so you hear those horns who finish. A soldier and I stay under you fighting, cause I'm storming on you chumps like thunder and lightning.
Ain't no way you're breaking me, kid. I'm harder than nails. Plus, I keep it on lock like I'm part of the jail. I'm slaughtering stale competition. I got the whole block wishing they could run with my division. But they gone fishing with no bait. Can't your boy hold weight? I got my soul straight. I brush your mouth like Colgate. In any weather, I'm never better. Your boy is so hot, you'll never catch me in the next man's sweater. And if they hate, let them hate. I dropped their whole clan. Lay your ass down for the three-second tan. Your time is up. My time is now. You can't see me. My time is now. It's the franchise. Boy, I'm shining now. You can't see me. My time is now. Um, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. Five pounds of courage, buddy. Base tan pants with a gold tee. Uh, it's a war dance and a victory step. Of all stances, a gift, and you insist it's my rep. John Cena, trademark. Y'all are so-so, we talked about the bread you make. But don't know the recipe for dough, though. Aiming guns in all your photos, that's a no-no. When this pop, your lip lock, your big talk's a blatant no-show. See what happens when the ice age melt. Your monetary status is not what matters, but it helps. I rock a timepiece by Benny Ifini. The same reason y'all can love me is the same reason you'll condemn me. A man is measured by the way that he thinks, not clothing lines, ice links, leather, and minks. I spent 20 years seeking knowledge of self, so for now, Mark records living life for wealth. Your time is up. My time is now. You can't see me. My time is now. It's the franchise, boy. I'm shining now. You can't see me. My time is now. Your time is up. My time is now. You can't see me. My time is now. It's the franchise, boy. I'm shining now. You can't see me. My time is now. Rick would spend the next two years bouncing at a bar and just grinding away at the very small Canadian indie circuit, wrestling once or so a month, making $25 if he was lucky. But it was through a short time at Stampede that he met Ricky Fuji, and Bogner would also see Ricky from time to time at the bar he worked at, so he felt comfortable asking him to pass the tape along to Japan. Uh, Ricky did, and before Bogner knew it, he was debuting as Big Titan in Japan's Frontier Martial Arts. And I think the last time we talked about Frontier was way back when we covered Hayabusa. Remind the people what FMW is. Oh, FMW, there's a great Dark Side of the Ring about it that really kind of, it's a great education, and, and it's got such a wonderful story, and it's a promotion that was linked directly to Onita, his success, his stardom, his star power, FMW and Onita is were synonymous with each other. And Bogner was coming in at, at a time that is very strong and they're looking for big, strong Americans that basically just beat the piss out of their national stars, their Japanese stars, and just they needed that big American to just be an ass kicker. And they, they were looking for people like that and people they could mold in what they wanted in FMW, not somebody who had a name that was coming in. They could kind of do their own thing with them. But yeah, FMW, 
like I said, a great dark side of the ring on it, but they were pretty much at the forefront of introducing deathmatch style wrestling to Japan on a large scale. And they, they were, had big characters too, were mostly like New Japan was mostly just guys and regular. I mean, this is before the Wrestle Kingdom era. We had the extravagant entrances with the colorful ring gear. I mean, you just still had Anita out there in black trunks, and you still had guys with their yellow tights matching with boots. And Muda was probably the most extravagant thing in in New Japan. And then also too, all Japan was a lot of like Americans coming over wrestling. Very traditional, like Japanese wrestlers, where FMW was like this weird culture clash of things, of just characters, explosions, spectacle all around. So, getting a big, strong American coming in to just kick some fucking ass was ex- exactly what they needed at the time. Rick made his FMW debut July 91, wrestling Ricky Fuji, who had helped bring him in. They'd immediately put him in the tag team scene. Because while Rick, uh, he, he looked the part for sure, and he would eventually become, you know, solid in the ring here. He's green as goddamn Kermit the Frog's butthole, motherfucker. That's fake cornet. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Rick tacked up with Horse Hogan, Tarzan, Goto, and they're facing various combinations of people like Onita, Hayabusa, oh, well, I guess E.G. Izaki at the time, and uh, Sambo As- Asako? I'm so bad at Japanese names. I'm so sorry. I know. I was going to let you go. Go for it. I, I can't <laughs> I can't wait for you to do Mitsuhara Masawa or Toshiaki Kawada. Like, I am so ready for those episodes. Masawa has been requested a few times, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to have to do fucking Duolingo or some shit before <laughs> that. All right. They're working against Onita a ton, so they're doing Onita shit. Lots of street fights, stretcher matches, barbed wire, ropes matches, so... You know, Big Titan paid his dues a little bit. He got the shit kicked out of him. He'd break off for a little bit of singles competition to win FMW's heavyweight title January 15th, 92. Seemed like a bit of a transitional title reign. Uh, 15 days, he'd drop it off to Tarzan Goto on the 30th. But, you know, it's still pretty cool that a guy who is still greener than a vegan's shopping cart at Whole Foods, motherfucker, to get a world title. <laughs> You're actually coming up with these. You're not stealing them from, <laughs> like, a, a comic from a Borscht Belt comic. Congratulations. You're already two steps better than Jim Cornette, Nick Alexander. You're actually writing original material and saying it? Congratulations. So, Nick, you're saying he's greener than the hurricane's pubes. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yes. Rick spent the next couple of years bouncing between Canada and Japan. Back home, he'd win the Canadian Rocky Mountain Wrestling Heavyweight title. And sure, titles are basically props, but Rick is in his early 20s. And there's more than one company that's seen him as credible enough to hold their belt. Or at least credible enough that when whoever beats him for that belt gets a little rub from beating the big guy. On top of that, if you are a deathmatch-loving, dirt-sheet-reading, tape-trader, Big Titan may be, like, one of your dudes, you know? If you're an FMW guy, you may have been a fan of Rick Titan around this time. So right away, I want to start poking holes in, like, the narrative that Rick Bogner did nothing, showed up and was fake Razor, and then that was it. Yeah, I mean, he, he had extensive tours in FMWs. I mean, if he just had FMW and people just focus in on that, like, oh, I remember when they had that guy Titan, you know, like, yeah, it was a big dude. Why never we saw him in WWE? Yeah, I know. That was surprising. 
I feel like he had, had some ability and could have done something. Yeah, they would have saw him and, you know, shot him to the moon. Like, yeah, they definitely would have just threw a gimmick on somebody that was there before <laughs> that was beloved and do it as a spiteful booking. No, they'd never do that to him. Yeah, they wouldn't book him solely based on his resemblance to someone else. <laughs> or out of spite for the person who he was trying to impersonate. By January 94, Rick and Mike Awesome would enter a tag team tournament for the vacant FMW Brass Knuckle tag team titles, winning the whole thing January 18th. They'd hold the belts till April 21st, dropping them to Mr. Pogo and Oya. And Mr. Pogo considered one of the worst human beings of all fucking time. (laughs) And fucking for them to do the honors to him, like clearly was like, all right. And also, too, if it didn't go the way they wanted, they could just murdered Pogo, probably. <laughs> and that's the thing, too. Like, Pogo kind of scared people, but I guarantee it didn't fucking scare Mike Awesome and Rick Titan, for sure. And also, too, scary-looking tag team, you know? Like, that's that's a formidable force Yeah, walking around. So that's that's who you'd want as your tag champion, so... I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not familiar uh, with this large Japanese woman, Mr. Pogo. What did he do to... Uh, <laughs> why, why was he such a piece of shit? Well, I remember Hugh Morris talking about how when he would wrestle him, he'd like, pick you up for a pile driver and then open his legs, so like your mm. fucking head, so he wouldn't take care of guys. And that's he, coming from Bill DeMott, and that's something. <laughs> exactly. Bill DeMott's like, this guy's a piece of shit and takes liberties with people. That is a level yeah. that is fucking bad. Also, too, I think he like fucked with people. Like we go into like the rooms and shit like that. So I think there were some other stories like backstage that he could also do. Mm. Not only just being a massive piece of shit gotcha. in the ring. After dropping the belts, Rick would tag with AEW's own Doctor Luther as well as Ricky Fuji again. He had some singles matches here and there before having his final FMW match, putting over his old partner on the way out, the Gladiator, December 9th, 1994. I kept forgetting about that connection with him and Luther. Like, Luther would have been one of the guys to talk to, and God, Luther's such a nice dude. Sometimes we just sit down and talk about life. Like, whenever there's a time we get a moment, like, we just kind of sit down and be like, hey, man, how are you? What's going on with you? Yeah, let's do this. Like, Luther's such an interesting dude. Like, I just like hanging around him. He's one, of, he's one of the joyful things that I see at AEW is when I get to go and hang out with him. Is he in the contacts when you're doing this? Sometimes, and it makes me really fucking weird. Yeah. Like, but I think he's got regular weird eyes anyways. So, like, yeah, he's got, like, big old white pupils. Hmm. He's the most dilated motherfucker I know. <laughs> Naturally. After Japan, it was back to Calgary for some matches with fake British Bulldog Johnny Smith, as well as one of his best friends, Bad News Allen. Do not besmirch the name of Johnny Smith, my friend. <laughs> Johnny Smith fucking filled in and did a lot of the heavy lifting for the last couple of years of Dynamite. Also, too, Johnny Smith, we could not get him for the Dynamite documentary because I guess he's now an undercover cop. Whoa. Hmm. And he's like, yeah, I can't be on camera talking, saying I'm somebody else because somebody might recognize me and my cover would be blown. <laughs> That'd be some shit. Uh, maybe I should edit this out also. 
Uh, no, it's it's fine. You can leave it in. It's, it's, what I said would need to be edited out. You bringing up Johnny Smith is not going to be the end all be all. But yeah, I think he's like a cop now and he does undercover work. So he's either a like, cop or he really just doesn't want to be bothered. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a long way to go. You know, maybe I'm going to start doing that when people start asking me for like interview stuff later in life. I'm like, nah, see, I'm an undercover cop or I work for the CIA. You see this mustache? I have to work for the FBI. <laughs> Rick would do a big run in Germany with Otto Vance's catch wrestling. There he feuded with fake Rambo, who was sniper in WWF's Truth Commission. He also worked with Fit Finley, Cannonball Grizzly, a.k.a. PN News, and Lance Storm. And he said in Germany he really learned how to work as a heel. Just like really appreciated like the art of what being a, a, a bad guy was. And also, too, like, you're going to get a red wrestling education because you're wrestling every day and it's like tournament style and they got the card system and you kind of, it's kind of fair show wrestling. So you kind of got to go with what the people want for that particular day. So you can't like have these long drawn out matches. You have to have kind of a structure. You really got to go off what the crowd is buying at the time. So if you want a real good wrestling education and uh, wrestling every day, like Germany and the catch wrestling and the auto Vons promotion that's where you're gonna that's probably where he got much more polished uh, as a wrestler it's kind of similar to the butland stuff they do in england right yeah a, a little bit but this is more where that's definitely holiday fair stuff mm. where this is like seen as a national wrestling tournament gotcha and but they're still staying in caravans during this time rick also was getting some work in japan's wrestling and romance promotion war War was run by Ginkuharo Tenaru. He was always starting like different promotions. You know, he had wrestled for all Japan and New Japan. And then he had gotten up with an eyeglass company and started SWS and partnered with WWF and was trying to run WWF level shows with WWF talent and mixing in some other. Japanese talent, like an early Ultimo Dragon and, and several other like Japanese stars that weren't being really utilized in all Japan or New Japan. But he'd also have the Million Dollar Man taking on the Ultimate Warrior in Japan. <laughs> like, and Japanese crowds weren't buying it, you know? But he'd also, Tenaru would team with Hulk Hogan against Demolition in the main event in Japan. And they ran several shows, but as it got smaller, because the Japanese economy started to kind of tank a little bit, so they couldn't really support the three promotions. Also, too, uh, I don't know how connected to the, the Yakuza uh, SW was, <laughs> so maybe that's why it kind of tanked a little bit. But SWS came to be a little bit smaller, and then all of a sudden it kind of turned into war. So a lot of the guys that were over at SWS kind of transferred over to war and you saw a lot more of those guys, but then it gave a lot of, a lot of guys opportunity. It was just this weird mix of kind of like Lucha Libre style ex WWF guys, um, Jericho and Canadian guys. Yeah. Yeah. Jericho. That was his big play. I remember reading that in his first book. It was like him going from, I don't remember which promotion it was in Mexico, but then he got the shot in war. And then I was like, Oh, that was the first thing that jogged my memory when I heard this. I was like, is this about the same time? And a yeah. couple of cards, him and Jericho on the same ones. Yep. Yep. They're in the same uh, stable together. I think Jado and Gato were also involved. Yes. Sorry. And Gato is currently the booker for New Japan, right? I think so. Or it's Jado. Or they're, or they're the same person and we never knew it all along. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the United States, 
Rick would do a couple runs at ECW. So old pal Sabu called up Rick out of the blue and asked if he wanted to go to ECW. And this is possibly some 40 chess from Paul. He knew FMW and war. Heyman knew that his fan base probably knew FMW and war. So having Big Rick Titan come in and do a job for Sabu like really helps get Sabu over to his very niche smart mark crowd. Yeah, and it's one of the things like, oh, this guy's a big deal in Japan. Let's check it out. Oh, the match was pretty good. Okay, well, it's kind of what we expected, and then move on. In March 96, Big Titan beat Judge Dredd before losing the next day against Sabu. After some more war dates, he'd be back in May. He beat Hack Myers, but the following night, Rick would unknowingly change his life forever with just a little joke. Hey everyone, it's Nick from Tim Bell Pod, and I just wanted to say that the only reason I did this podcast was for the money. And I hope each and every one of you goes straight to patreon.com slash Pod, where you can help support the show. There you'll find shirts with our new logo, a bonus content tier, you can even just support the show for as little as $1. And of course, that's assuming you stupid hicks from can afford a dollar. Ah, thank your favorite sports team sucks. And if you got a problem with it, you can find me at patreon.com slash 10 Well, in ECW, they were going over a six-man tag in the locker room when fake Freight Caliendo bust out his Razor Ramon impression, and right away, Heyman was like, please do that in the ring. This led to a couple things. First, they played a prank on fake Ric Flair, Shane Douglas, who had real-life heat with Scott Hall, who was a bit of a free agent at the time. They used uh, walkie-talkies to communicate across the arena back then because it was the fucking 1800s. Rick got on pause and hit Shane with a, Dean Douglas, you think I can't fucking do it. Hey, yo. Hey, hey that's pretty good. Uh, hey, let me, let me give a hand. Hey, yo. <laughs> hey, I think that's a pretty good one. I, I don't know. You guys laugh, but I think it was a fucking good one because you got to take the deep breath. Wait a minute. Is it bad if we're white guys doing an impression of a white guy doing a Cuban <laughs> accent? Or are we getting... Yeah, where's that line? We're getting too far in the weeds here. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So. Hey, yo. How, hello, everybody. How's that for <laughs> a... Uh... <laughs> hello, fellers. <laughs> Howdy, gentlemen. I think that's a good Razor Ramon. Yeah. All right. He says, Dean Douglas, you think I'd go down to Atlanta before I came and kicked your ass, Chico? Over. Shane obviously freaked out a bit before they let him in on the rib. Uh, after calming down, Shane, who was also co-booker, was like, will you please do that in the ring? So Slice and Dice Ramirez headed down to the ring, cuts a short promo as Razor before his sixth man against the Dutleys and Hack Myers. So how does this joke that Rick assumed would just die in the locker room turn into one of the worst wrestling angles of all time? There are three versions of this. All could be true. Like they all could have happened at the same time or pieces could be true. It's just all different people's versions. So Rick said that that night, uh, someone from WWF, possibly the Hebners, was in the crowd. They went back and told Vince about this spot on Scott Hall impression from this Scott Hall looking motherfucker. 
Rick also said that Calgary pal Bret Hart had been lobbying Vince to get Bogner a tryout, and that's how he got in as well. Bruce Pritchard said Paul Heyman let him know that this guy in the locker room had a pretty spot-on Scott, and they should check him out. Either way, at 26 years old, Rick Bogner was given a tryout with a dark match on Raw August 19, 1996. Rick thought it went well enough, but he did not hear anything for a couple weeks, so he just kind of went on with his life. Then one day after a workout, Rick comes home to a message from Vince McMahon on his answering machine. Tyler, answering machine? Yeah. What does that mean, <laughs> man? I I had fucking, this. You old motherfucker, give it to me. <laughs> I already had this. Uh, Tyler, answering machine is like a, uh, a physical voicemail that was recorded onto tapes. Tapes are like a very archaic CD. CDs held most recordings until the internet. I got you. CD's nuts, Nick. CD's nuts. <laughs> so it's a computer that has a voice attached to it? Like... <laughs> it's like Siri. I understand. I'm not stupid. <laughs> so Rick was obviously super pumped to have a fucking voicemail from the god of wrestling on his uh, his answering machine. I'm sure it, it sounded like a, hello, hello, Rick. This, this is God. <laughs> okay, Vince McMahon. Looking very vascular in the mirror today. I'm calling you in the nude right now. I just want to let you know that I've really got that V cut. I got the sex lines going real well. I got, I'm looking real good. I got, I'm doing this nice pose in front of the mirror. I do the side thing. The triceps are popping like a motherfucker right now. Anyways, you want to come in? Travel, take care of you. See you in a few days, pal. Rick calls Vince back, and he is immediately like... Hard, that's what he is. He's hard. He's hard. He's like, you're a big strapping bastard and you called me back I feel like the bell of the ball right now (laughs) (laughs) Rick's excitement is immediately dashed when uh, Vince is like you're gonna be my next Razor Ramon but you know what can you do you either have to be fake Razor or you have to tell Vince McMahon his ideas are dumb before we get into Rick's time in WWF, let's kind of set the stage. As you may have heard, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash went to WCW. And while they weren't wearing, hi, my name is Razor and Diesel stickers, it was like somewhat implied. So WWF promptly sent them a letter from their lawyer informing that they own every single inch of Razor and Diesel. And if they didn't stop portraying them, they'd sue. Then Vince, in a complete ego trip manic fever dream decides i made razor and diesel and i can do it again with anyone else in this business so obviously scott hall and kevin nash are fucking scott hall and kevin nash they were gonna do okay no matter what but do you think if vince lets actual razor ramon and actual diesel go to wcw the whole nwo thing is kind of like less cool because I remember growing up, like, knowing a pro wrestler's real name is it wasn't like it is today. So the fact that they showed up as Scott Hall and Kevin Nash made this just, like, tearing down the fourth wall. Like, it gave it this, like, epic realness that I think if it's Razor Ramon and Diesel coming over, it's just, like, another wrestling angle where this shit was real. Well, that's the thing. I don't think Vince would ever... He would never do that. Like, I can't even, like, imagine a scenario where you would see a Razor Ramon in WCW. No way, no how. Like, in my mind, I feel like Vince looked at it like, oh, well, the fact that Scott Hall is still doing this accent, I own that, too. Yeah. The fact that he has his hair slicked back, I own that, too. 
the fact that they had a toothpick, I own that too. And that's kind of what the lawsuit was about, that the settlement was actually the money that he used to buy WCW later, <laughs> as we find out through years of podcasts, when really all WCW had to do was show tapes of the Diamond Stud, and that was the thing that Vince saw, hired, and then brought on his TV. So I always feel like when they were going over, they knew they had to do something different, and they weren't for sure. I really feel like Scott Hall's like, well, I'm going back to WCW, so I guess I'm going to be the Diamond Stud now. Like, I can't call myself Razor because they own Razor, so I guess I'm going to be the Diamond Stud. Kevin Nash was probably like, I guess I'm the Master Blaster or Oz. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I guess I'm one of those. But like, I, I don't think they really knew until like they kind of thought about, you know, it, it took them to kind of zoom out of what they had, realizing what they had to make it as cool as I did. Like that took some very big hindsight and some big picture thinking to go, when these guys show up, they're going to think they're coming from the other company. Like let's lead them on for that. And you know, Vince was already butthurt because they didn't want to stay there and continue to just make less money. <laughs> like, what do you mean you want to make more money? What's wrong with you? You should be grateful for what I given you. So this was just, this was just such a weird power trip thing. And because they were going through all the legal stuff. And I remember like one of the legal arguments was because on a rundown sheet, they labeled, they didn't put Scott Hall, they put Razor. Well, fucking, I had the hardest time. Like, like if I see Kevin Owens, I still call him Steen, but eventually I'm going to get acclimated to Owens and then I'm going to call him Owens, but I can't call him Owens on our TV. And Ruby Riot, like fucking calling her Ruby Riot right now, which is Ruby Soho. Like She's Heidi Loveless put, if you want to break it down. It is, it's just, she's also... I also know her real name, and I used to call her that. So then it's like, I mean, I don't know. So it's just very frustrating that way to, you know, like just because you put it on a rundown sheet and he's doing the mannerisms that he was actually doing before your company, claiming that, and then doing this whole angle with a fake razor and diesel. Like I heard Bruce Pritchard like stand like, no, this was a good idea because we were defending <laughs> our co- we are defending our copyright. And Mike. Ugh, I I don't remember, and we'll get into the debut very shortly and how awkward that was. So from like a business perspective, this is interesting just to see people fighting over an intellectual property like this. I've never seen anything like this where it's like weird pro wrestling stuff with people portraying a character. But I also love that it really encapsulates, like if you need a story that explains how Vince McMahon is as a business person, <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Oh yeah, this, this, this story right here needs to be told, and unfortunately Rick Bogner is, is the, the tragic figure of it all, <laughs> never had a shot, and he was everything that Vince McMahon would have wanted, <laughs> like everything. He a big strapping son of a bitch right there, god damn it, I want to make so much money with you. In any other scenario other than this, he probably would have been hugely successful. But yeah, this is the this is the Vince McMahon story of who he is. I'll just do it with somebody fucking else. I don't I don't give a fuck what any other podcast will tell you he was trying to do. This was fuck you. I can do this with anybody, and legitimately thought this was gonna work. And I think that's why also why they picked Glenn Jacobs for the Diesel role because they knew how good he was, and they were just trying to find a spot for him. He's good. But, like, you look at Rick, and he's, like, he looks a fair bit like Razor. He definitely sounds like him. Glenn Jacobs doesn't look a goddamn thing like Kevin Nash. (laughs) But the thing is, they're only doing it because he's tall, and they just, they like like Glenn Jacobs. Like, that's the other thing, too, is once they saw him wrestle The Undertaker in Smoky Mountain Wrestling as the Unabomber, 
They're like, we need to find a spot for him. That's why they gave him the fucking Dennis thing. Like, they like him already because, I mean, fuck, we put him on pay-per-view against Brett fucking Hart. We got to find a fucking spot for him where he can succeed. And they found so, it eventually. Like the, yeah, but the fake Diesel thing, this was a legitimate attempt to fucking be like, see, this is how replaceable you fucking are. And also hugely highlights how much the WWF was focused on characters while WCW was about, like, compelling storylines and good wrestling. Ah, you say that, but that only happened when they they had this lightning in a bottle of Scott Hall coming over. Because you got to remember, we're not too far away from this fucking Tower of Doom match where Hulk Hogan's fighting the Dungeon of Doom with... With Randy Savage taking on Z Gangsta, like let's okay, fair, pump, fair enough, fair pump enough. Pump the fucking <laughs> brakes, okay. We just saw we just saw the Yeti fucking butt fuck Hulk Hogan on pay per view after throwing the giant off Kobo Arena, like maybe less than a year, like maybe eight months prior to this. So what I'm gonna give WCW credit for here is their characters, like the Yeti. Or, or what have you, are at least, like, they're futuristic. Like, fucking, um, Glacier was WCW. It's not, you're taking an occupation, like Repo Man, or Garbage Man, or fucking a cop. Or Boy Scout, or some other bullshit right. character <laughs> no, like it's that. Cool. No, that's cool now, because it's, it's uh, the 20s, and it's all, you know, it's hipster shit. But this, <laughs> <laughs> it's like in the 90s, it's just, uh, he's, a, he's a big red driver, burp, burp. He dressed up. He looks like a truck. Burp, burp. This guy is a Cuban. That's a character. There you go. Burp, burp. <laughs> <laughs> and your new WWE champion. Burp, burp. <laughs> I'm just the thinking fuck? of the, the clip of The Rock where I don't remember what he's doing, but it's from some movie where he's going. Burp, burp. Yeah, he did it when like. Kevin Nash came back uh, when he was at the NWO that one time. Yeah. And Big Diesel over here. Burr, burr, <laughs> like that, that. That's probably one of my one of my more one of my few f- favorite rock promos. So in September 1996, bad guy Jim Ross promised that Razor and Diesel were coming back to the WWF. And on September 23rd's Raw, season four, if you count Raw's as seasons, like a fucking uh, sociopath. Uh, fuck you, Peacock. <laughs> fuck you, everything. The network was perfectly fucking fine. I know you shoved a bunch of money in Vince's face, but you just ruined a perfectly good streaming service. Yeah. Just because Vince McMahon didn't want yeah. all the work and he just wanted all the money. Yeah, you know how many razors I can buy with this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> And I ain't talking about razors of shaving my face. I'm talking about big, strapping, vascular motherfuckers <laughs> that I can just put Razor Ramon gear on, just oozing with machismo. Hill Ross would bring out Razor Ramon, and immediately everyone was like, fuck this. But Rick did get the Razor Ramon fireworks. That, that, was, that was pretty cool. He gets an interview with Jim Ross getting out a Chico. Take a look at the bad guy. Before Savio Vega, who had been attacked by Razor and Diesel, but it was like filmed really far away so you couldn't see him. He runs out and attacks Lowe Bogner. And I remember the fucking debut promo. It was so fucking weird. And I remember Jim Ross talking about it, like uh, just talking about how fucking 
awful it was and it's like one of the biggest mistakes of his career and the things he's like the least proud of and i just i just remember that whole fucking thing and i'm just like you know i'll say this you know you talk about how mind-blowing scott hall showing up was like oh this is real scott hall showing up still seemed like a wrestling angle but like a really cool thing and genuine this fucking Jim Ross promo saying that we can just make anybody Razor, that felt more real to me. I could see that. You know what I'm saying? That, to me, was a pullback of the curtain so fucking far that it just fucking disoriented me and tuned me the fuck out. And I also feel like it's shit on every character there. And kind of like, oh, well, what's going to happen if Bret Hartley is just going to make another guy Hitman? You're going to have another Shawn Michaels? So you're basically saying all these characters are fucking bullshit. And you can do whatever you fucking want with them. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And, Are you telling me you can replace Bob, Sparky, Plug, Holly with <laughs> anybody else? Motherfucker. <laughs> I will take you to Dubuque to go have lunch with Bob. No, Holly. sir. And I'm what? good. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm only shitting on the character. <laughs> Not Bob Holly. He scares the fucking shit out of me. You should. I, I think he moved to Iowa solely so he could hunt more. And if you want to, like, have, like, a fucking surviving the game fucking thing or whatever that movie was where Ice-T was running away from all those rednecks that were hunting him, like, if you want to have an experience like that with Bob Holly, we can make that happen. No, I'm perfectly good. I saw him get his back sliced open by a table. I act like it was a fucking mosquito bite. I'm good. Also, why didn't they just do the thing that they had done in pro wrestling for like a thousand years where this is Razor's cousin, Laser Ramon? For years, like this is his cousin. But I think that everybody's kind of had seen that enough. Also, that's very old school Southern wrestling. So Vince hates Uh, that already. That's true. Like the whole Tommy Rich is so successful. He had Johnny Rich. Yeah. Well, the next week on Raw, Savio and Razor have a proper match. It's given like a kind of a lot of time too. There's a uh, <laughs> there's a great shot if you go back and watch this of during Razor's I- entrance where this dude is just so stone faced, like what the fuck? Like he's just he's just so mad. Rick's out there hitting all the Razor beats. You know, Rick is a solid big man in the ring, but he's he's no Scott Hall. But you know who is. Then uh, Diesel runs out, and I think this is where this gets comically bad. Because, like, if you squint from the back of the arena, maybe maybe you see Rick as Razor Ramon. But uh, I'll say this this way. There is a reason Kevin Nash was in Magic Mike, and Glenn Jacobs was a monster man in a horror movie. <laughs> uh, can we take just a slight detour here that Vince McMahon wanted Kane in See No Evil to have, like, a six-foot penis? <laughs> really? What? Yes. Yeah, that that's Oh uh, no, I, I talked about that and and how did this get booked? There's a lot of weird shit with that movie that Vince wanted to happen that didn't happen. I kinda want that, and, like hearing that and like that would have made a fucking better movie. <laughs> it's an okay horror movie, but I'm like, I wanna see Kane with a six inch cock. Excuse me, six six foot. Six foot. I'm sure he's already And I think there was something with animals too that they were gonna do and they cut. Like, yeah, there was some weird Vince McMahon shit. Fingerprints all over it. I think Vince Unfiltered would make really good horror content. <laughs> it's just they're trying to marry that with like coming up on a PG era. Yeah, that's a weird combo. I think Vince is horror content. Yeah. <laughs> Vince would be the Eric Andre show if they just let him do his thing. It would just be <laughs> 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 It would just be chaos and randomness. And Bruce Pitcher would be Hannibal Burris like, yeah. I don't know, man. Whack. Whack. <laughs> 
Following this match, Razor beat fake Ricky Bobby, Bob Holly on Superstar. <laughs> now listen here, Nicholas. If you want to be taken out to the woodshed in Iowa and be hunted by Bob Holly, you keep it up, mister. Uh, I, I love Bob Holly. I don't feel like I've mentioned that on uh, Heart on uh, fucking God damn it, Crash Holly's episode. Rick hit the house shows and worked with Jake the Snake and Stone Cold. So you know that that, that was pretty cool. He uh, beat Mark Marrow on Raw, and then he get on one of the big fours, making his WWF pay per view debut at ninety sixes survivor series and madison square garden and this is the fourth fucking time we've brought up this match on the show for the love of god someone put ron simmons in a protective bubble diesel farouk razor invader flash funk snooka savio vega and yoko zuna in a match that like just dissolves and ends up in a like a double dq clusterfuck but Cornette does scream jr you couldn't manage a wendy's so that's like a little foreshadowing but it would have already happened, actually, so the Wendy's incident would have happened. Oh, uh, okay. And in your house 12, Razor and Diesel would get shots at Owen Hart and Davy Boy Smith's titles, but Razor eats a spinning hill kick from Owen that leads to a Davy pin, and, and they lose. On December 23rd, Raw, Rick would take a sharpshooter from Brett and put him over, but by 97, it was just fucking time for WWF to admit they fucked up. Rick would put over Rocky Maivia on Shotgun Saturday night before heading to 97's Royal Rumble. Fake Razor is the third man in. He lasts 17 seconds, and he is the first man out getting tossed by Ahmed Johnson. Now Vince is obviously just taking out the anger he has for Scott Hall <laughs> on Rick. He's just like, God damn it. Why'd you leave me? Why'd you leave me? 17 seconds, you're out. Yeah, oh yeah, this is why it's even more so the Vince McMahon story. He's showing that he owns people, then when he doesn't have things his way, and he's mad at somebody else, he takes it out on somebody else. Like, I have a therapy session this upcoming Friday. I want to just talk about this. I'm like, can we not talk about me this session? Let's talk about this psychopath, and I want your professional opinion about this crazy person. <laughs> Like, let's take this entire hour to talk about what's wrong with this person. <laughs> this is what I want to pay money to you for, is talk about the psychology of Vince McMahon. I'd love it if you just, like, keep it out. You, like, say, a friend of mine does this, and they're like, my God, we need to lock this person the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. This guy's a problem. Get him some help immediately. So this was pretty much game over for Rick's run and the main roster for WWF. Debut late September, out the doors January. Still under WWF contract, Diesel and Razor would get sent to AAA in Mexico. He worked with or against people like Pentagon, El Canec, Fueza, Guerrera. I mean, that all looks pretty cool on a resume, I think. Um, then he go to mm -hmm. U, both of them would go to USWA in Memphis. The Razor Diesel tag team would split up. They'd feud, leading to a loser leaves town match, which honestly in Memphis, the winner should get to leave. But, you know, but <laughs> yeah, especially during the USWA era. Rick wins his loser leave town match, but he was done with the Razor gimmick at this point. And on a TV episode, he alundra blazes the Razor gear into a trash can, saying that he is now the free spirit Rick Titan. And then he goes to beat uh, Tiger Jackson for his first win. Since he was only in Memphis because of his WWF contract, that ran out. 
and in August he would leave. He dipped down to Puerto Rico to do some jobs for murder accomplice Carlos Colon. Then in 1998, Rick went to New Japan Pro Wrestling, where in an absurd coincidence, like Scott Hall before him, former Razor Ramon would join Japan's version of the NWO, or fake NWO, if you will. I love how that ties together. That's just, life is having a good storytelling moment there. Yeah, I know. Good job. Yeah, you got NWO Sting, got it, like basically fake Razor in NWO Japan. It's so fucking weird. He's working with Fujinami, the great Muda. Jake, what do you know about this time of New Japan and specifically their version of the NWO? Oh, I know they're making all types of fucking merch sales on those NWO t-shirts in Japan. And I think that's kind of why they did it is so they could sell t-shirts. Bischoff's talking about they had some weird licensing agreement basically allowing them to do NWO Japan. Like WCW was able to make cut of their merch sales and they even got kind of ripped off on it but the amount they got was so astronomical that they're like that's great but then found out like oh we actually deserved more because they were making so much fucking money on nwo shirts in japan and having an nwo contingent but also too like it made it feel international and it was weird when nwo japan guys would come over but of course they had the biggest stars in the promotion and they had nobody to fight the nwo like it was even worse in japan than it was in wcw where it felt like every big star was in the nwo in wcw and it was just like ddp and lex luger fighting the nwo and then lex luger joined the nwo again or, or the the wolf pack and then you had sting trying to fight him off where you didn't even have the big stars fighting off the nwo in nwo japan because you had choshu and you had muda in nwo japan and pretty much you i think you only had like hashimoto standing strong and maybe hiroshi hase fighting him off so it was even more lopsided. But then you'd have someone like the Steiners come over and fight NWO Japan. And then you'd have Scott Hall and Kevin Nash come over to legitimize NWO Japan. Probably a pretty exciting time. It was it was fun looking at the, the gong magazines at my last job and just cycling through all the NWO Japan stuff with Scott Norton and like all the weird connections to NWO. Rick would end up injuring his neck in a match against Shinya Hasumoto on February 15th, 1998. I believe it was two hairline fractures of his vertebrae. Although he'd wrestle a couple more tours after his neck injury, he never felt the same after. Like, you can hide a bum knee or a twisted ankle, but you're not fucking pro wrestling with a broken neck. <laughs> Unless you're Kurt Angle, right? Yeah. Okay. But he's an Olympian. He's a zombie as well. <laughs> Rick would spend the next year plus working with uh, Japan Wrestling Royalty in New Japan. Then Rick wrestled his last New Japan match April 23rd, 1999. After Japan, Rick went back to Canada where he worked for Can-Am Wrestling Federation based in Alberta. Alberta and Saskatchewan. Alberta. And that's a foreign one too, Jake. Cut him some slack. <laughs> that's the, the Monroe, North Carolina came out of him. Real hard. Oh, look right at there. that. Alberta. Look at that, man. He's real fancy. He come from Alberta. Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck. All right. He went back to Canada working for Can-Am Wrestling where he feuded with fake Jake Manning, Biff Wellington. Google it. It's Jake mm-hmm. with hair. I swear to God. 
it's it's been said multiple times, and I I would agree. Uh, it, the the eyes are very disturbingly similar. The, oh boy, holy yep. shit, Timmy. dude! Yeah, yeah, it's scary. It's very fucking scary. Oh, I don't like that at all. <laughs> no, it is. It's like if if Jake fucked Magnum T A. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> In 1999, Rick went back to where it all started, taking part in one of the Stampede Wrestling's failed revival attempts. He would wrestle people like so damn insane. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Is that what I think it is? Yeah. Okay. All right. So damn insane. Uh, Dick Buckus Jr. and Vic Viper, who he'd have seemingly his last wrestling match against July 9th, 2000. So he didn't finish up his feud with Josama Ben Ladin? <laughs> no, he didn't. Okay. <laughs> it looks like he had uh, this like one-off convention match in like 2012. But as far as being a working pro wrestler, he was done in 2000. So neck all jacked up, burned out on the business as a whole, and it's sick of Marks coming up to him and going, yeah, You were a good razor. You were good at it. He decided to retire, leaving behind a decade in the industry. After this, Rick cleaned up a bit, no longer having to rely on boozing and painkillers to get through another match on the road. He kind of chilled out. Rick got into personal training and then working on like the business side of gyms. He uh, made some money in real estate and did what seemed like some consulting for companies. He also turned into a goddamn hippie. This fake Tony Robbins-ass motherfucker got into uh, Buddhism, Taoism, yoga. Uh, He became kind of like a motivational speaker. And, you know, I think he was going around giving people advice to, like, be more self-aware and more reflective. And I think that, you know, that makes the world a better place. He wrote a book as Rick Titan called Wrestling with Consciousness. And from what I gathered, he handled his money pretty well and just was kind of downward dog in his days away then on september 20th 2019 bogner died of a heart attack completely out of nowhere at the age of 49 years old obviously this is very sad for his his fans his friends his family but as someone who does this podcast this is such a fucking frustrating death because he like got out he, he, he turned his life around he was at peace he was healthy he was doing tangible good things in the world, and this fucking evil hex put on this godforsaken industry still killed him. He went earlier than someone who, if they stayed in it, right? Gone. I know, insane. It's a, it's a dark evil energy that cortisol that keeps you alive. Sometimes, you know, it's like that you're constantly putting that needle in your heart, like Nikki Six to kicks out your heart to keep going <laughs> in every day and that's the thing that pushes you through sometimes but yeah super bummer all right final thoughts on razor rick titan so as far as uh rick titan rick rick bogner fake razor goes he had the potential to do a lot and i feel like that neck injury kind of impeding him towards the end of his career took him down a different path um, who knows if he could have circled around after Japan, maybe gone back to the WWF, maybe that uh, the NWO Japan stuff could have been his way into WCW. 
who knows what he could have done because you see what Glenn Jacobs was able to do with going through um, a few bad gimmicks in WWF and turning it into uh, eventually when he got Kane, turning that into a, a great career move that lasted him two decades. So happy that he was able to enjoy some time outside of wrestling, even though he had an early sad death. It's not as sad as it could have been if maybe he stuck with wrestling and, you know, having a nagging injury like a, a neck injury could have probably sent him down a, a bad path. So sad that he went early, but happy he got to enjoy some time. Happy, it seems like. If I said a guy who trained with the hearts, won multiple titles all over the world, worked in Stampede, FMW, War, ECW, WWF, AAA, New Japan, was one of the worst wrestlers ever, you would rightfully call me an idiot. Like, with just a few tweaks here and there, that is almost the stripped-down version of Eddie fucking Guerrero's resume. Could he wrestle like Eddie? No. <laughs> he, you know, he couldn't really talk like The Rock. He didn't get as popular as Austin. But I don't think it's fair to throw out everything he ever did because Vince McMahon made some horrible business choices. And also, like, is Patrick Ewing the worst center ever because he sucked with the Orlando Magic for one season? No. But Rick seemed like a good dude. He went around the world, or the country at least, and preached positivity and going after your dreams. And some of the guru shit is a little, like, copy and paste, but it's better than using the wrestling audience you've obtained to tweet QAnon bullshits about how the reptilian king Barack Obama stole the election by sending the COVID vaccine to kill Joe Rogan, or whatever they think. But yeah, I hope this episode does, you know, at least a little to repair... What Rick meant to the wrestling world, sure, he's not a, a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he, also not this like punch down joke from a th- couple month run in WWF. Yeah, and it's a, it's a sense of circumstances. Uh, you just list off a resume that's very extensive. Like, gosh, I'd love to have that resume. And if I retired with a resume like that, I'd feel very accomplished. And like, you get to wrestle some of the best people in the WWF while he was there and yeah it sucks that we're gonna remember him from this one little spot but as I said at the beginning like if he's born two years earlier and he's getting in the mix during that 88 run of Stampede and wrestling Pillman and Owen and Gama Singh and having good matches with Mike Shaw you know maybe there's there's something there that He's seen a different way and he has a different career path. So just being born two years earlier, like I feel like if I would have got into wrestling two years earlier, instead of Colt Cabana being my vet, he's my contemporary. You know, it kind of gets me ahead of a lot of those guys and maybe I'm in more of the mix as opposed to fighting through a glass ceiling of really amazing wrestlers for the majority of my early career. So I, I kind of empathize with him. He was just trying to find a spot in kind of a tough time, and but he got to do some really cool stuff. and. I mean, you clearly see how big he is. I mean, any other circumstances, Vince would go crazy over him and push him to the moon. But then you put him in the worst actual spot and Vince is think it's on him when really it's not. And then you look at like Diesel and like, oh, well, he finally hit success with Kane. Well, I think Kane is just as goofy as a wrestling dentist and a fake Diesel. <laughs> in essence, like the Burt brother of The Undertaker sounds just as ridiculous as those. If he would have cycled back with WF, who's to say he doesn't come back as some massive killer somewhere else, you know, in the Attitude Era? I mean, we, we'll, we'll never know. But 
you know, finding peace after wrestling is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, and I'm extensively working through therapy to prepare for that and, and do the work years prior. So when it is over, I'm okay with that. And I was just trying to get to the place that Bogner got to. And yeah, I, I think there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. He's, he achieved what I wanted to achieve. Like I'd, I'd feel very lucky and very fortunate if I, if I was Rick Bogner. So Looking at it as a wrestler, I would feel very lucky and very fortunate to have the career and and get to the point that he got to in his personal life. To me, life and career was all a win in my book, and and it, what he had is something that I'm striving for myself. He achieved all my goals, so congratulations to you, um, Rick, and uh, hopefully we put a little bit more respect on your name here today on Ted Bell Pod. All right, that is the bat guy, Rick Bogner. Shit, I don't know. Thank you guys for supporting us on Patreon, for following us on social media at Timbell Pod. You guys got anything? Yeah, please, please, please uh, retweet, like. It's really important. It's the word of mouth that's going to make this thing going, guys. It really is. It's going to be the reviews. It's going to be you retweeting every time a new episode comes out. A lot of our or episodes, it really warms my heart when you take a screen cap of you clearly listening to whatever podcast app you listen to and let people know, like, hey, this is a great episode, or this episode was hilarious, or this episode was funny, or I learned this, I like this. Those are the things that are going to get people on board with this. And the more we get more people on board with this, the more likelihood that maybe we can do live shows in the future. Maybe we can create more merch. The more fans we get, the more things we can do. Right now, you guys are the early part of this movement, so... The harder we we all can push this now together, the cooler this whole thing is going to be. So get out there. It's word of mouth. That's all your favorite podcasts out in the world. All my favorite podcasts started through word of mouth. And it, and it starts with you guys. And we're forever grateful for everything you've done. And every help that you do, it will always be eternally grateful to all th- from all three of us. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for you know, the tweets and the Instagram posts and all that. Um, I've never been a part of something like this. I'm very happy to be on board with it. And it's a ton of fun. Uh, And any ideas that you guys have for any questions you might want, anything you want us to go further in depth on for any Patreon content, uh, just anything you guys would like to see or hear, just let us know. Well, that's, that's, this is the end of this episode then. If you have any ideas for how Nick can better dismount <laughs> the end of episodes, we'd also love to hear that too. Thanks, guys. Oh, please. He's great at starting, but awfully yeah. finishing. <laughs>